and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Thank you so much for joining me, your host Liam Edwards, once again to place another hand-picked games industry member on a deserted island where they could only take eight games with them to play for the rest of their days. For this, the 81st episode of the show, I have a wonderful guest with me. He is one half of the founding team of the incredible indie game studio, Subset Games, the studio responsible for FTL Faster Than Light and this year's incredible Into the Breach. But it was originally in AAA development that my guest got his start in the games industry. Not in America or Europe either though, but working in China as a junior game designer at 2K Shanghai. There, from 2009 to 2011, my guest was responsible for helping and working as a designer on games such as Top Spin 4 and Bioshock 2. From there, my guest then decided to switch roles and worked as a game design consultant for the studio working part-time during 2011. It was during this time in 2011 though that my guest alongside his friend and former 2K Shanghai colleague Matthew Davis got together to work on some indie projects of their own. This led to them forming the studio Subset Games and to creating the first version of FTL. With FTL, both my guest and Matthew wanted to create a game where players felt from the command chair like they were Captain Picard, yelling at the crew to get their ship in order. After some submissions to indie game festivals and demonstrating the game, the pair began to gain some well-earned attention and traction behind it. This led to a Kickstarter for FTL that would help to push it through final polish and to get it out there to the masses. With an initial goal of $10,000, my guest and his team smashed that, with the Kickstarter finally ending at just over $200,000, allowing them to go ahead and make FTL the game they always envisioned. Releasing in September of 2012, FTL received incredible praise from players and critics alike, and went on to receive an advanced edition with a little help from former Final Games guest Chris Avalon. After finishing FTL up with wonder and speculation about what my guest's studio was cooking up next, Subset Games announced in February of last year their next game, Into the Breach, a tactics-based PC game that had a unique spin on more traditional tactics-based games. A year later, in February 2018, this year, the studio finally released Into the Breach for PC and earlier in August, a Mac version as well, both to incredible reviews. It's with absolute pleasure that my guest for this episode is one half of Subset Games and the co-designer and co-creator of FTL and my very own personal game of the year so far, Into the Breach, the lovely Mr. Justin Ma. Hello, Justin. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, Justin. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm impressed with your research. That was a, a nice that I didn't have to do all that myself, too. <laughs> I'm glad because the problem is and I always talk about this beforehand and I forgot to talk about it today is we live in this weird space in the games industry where people are kind of no notable and semi-famous but not famous at the same time even if you take someone maybe like Cliffy B or Derek Yu for example quite well-known people worldwide by people in the games industry but you wouldn't really classify them as famous so Usually it means all the information out there on the internet is wrong. So, <laughs> so when you're researching these uh, wonderful guests that I have, man, some misinformation just crops up. So I'm glad to hear that at least it sounds like I was right in this today a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. And also just in the games industry, you're sort of known by your product. You're not known as an individual, which is, you know, it's yes. fine, but it, it's creates this weird situation where you think you know someone through their work but then realize you actually know absolutely nothing about them 
Yeah, I, I can imagine taking Derek, for example, him being at a party and being, like this guy talking about Spelunky and he's like, I really love Spelunky. And Derek's like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the, that's great. That's my game. And he's like, what? You made Spelunky? <laughs> that's the kind of thing I can just imagine happening. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I imagine that's happened with you and FTL and Into the Breach as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, it is still very weird to me because we work, you know, from a little cave. And I, yes, I see the numbers of how many people buy the game and stuff. And I understand that as an abstract concept. But then to go and, you know, introduce myself and everyone nowadays, basically everyone in the West and the, and the games industry that it seems at least is aware of FTL, for example, which yeah. is just a very bizarre situation for me. <laughs> um, like, oh, you made that. Or just just the simple fact that like other developers use it as a reference point is still sometimes like kind of humbling to me. I can imagine. You know, FTL just exploded ftl came out around the time i started working in the games industry at rockstar and i remember when i started in the october after ftl was released it just everyone in the office was playing it everyone in the office was playing this ship game and making everyone upset and angry that <laughs> they couldn't get through it um i can't even imagine what it was like to you know go from working in AAA, you know on top spin four and bioshock to to then having this this project that you'd what was it it was a year just over a year in development uh yeah it was about 18 months until we released it although to be honest um my role in those games is minimal to say best yeah we you know this was a the china studio that sort of operated almost like a insourcing outsourcing like yeah providing assets and stuff for the other studios so like my role on bioshock too I, I helped create a pipeline to make the maps for the game. So I, they needed someone who could use both the 3D tools as well as Photoshop and Flash, and they had no one who could use all of those things. And so I was brought on, and I ended up uh, like creating a way to, to just draw the maps for the game. So I, that... I don't even know if I'm accredited on it. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> hey, it sounds like they couldn't have got it done without you, so... <laughs> critical critical role <laughs> but from there then you had a very critical role in making ftl and i can imagine how you know even talking about it nearly six years later since its release um it must have been weird to then just have this explosion of people eyes looking at your game and to go from maybe sort of minimal roles on you know, big franchise like Bioshock 2 to then having your first ever shot at making an indie game just be this massive success. Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre and still is. Like just now, uh, two weeks ago or so, I was giving a talk in a small in a development conference in Taiwan. Um, and the sort of reminder that I only a couple of years ago was in the position of these kids now, like approaching someone that they respect, being very nervous, asking a few questions and leaving awkwardly. Like I, that was me like a very short time ago. And so suddenly now I am the one to be respected and the one whose opinion matters enough to fly you to another country. Just doesn't really fit. It feels like it's supposed to be 
like a 10 years at least in the, in the industry <laughs> or you know like i don't feel like i know more than i did now or i'm you know so, you're just the same person just with very slightly different experiences now yeah and so i am trying to at least admit to myself that like my you know my specific role and opinions will, may have enough value to other people that i should try and share them whereas previously that was hard and that that was like a, a thing i've come to this year so i'm going to try and do more talks and do more um you know connection with de developers in that way but it still is extremely bizarre to me and doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense well to me I feel like you've very much earned it, uh, especially after releasing Into the Breach this year, which, as I mentioned, and I am not lying, <laughs> is my current game of the year so far. I am That's absolutely amazing. in love with Into the Breach. I love it. That's really cool. It's... Yeah. Uh, I, it's... Ugh. How you made such a fantastic game, I do not know. <laughs> Design-wise, Into the Breach is outstanding just outstanding thanks yeah we definitely seem to be you know how there's like movie directors or that basically make movies for other movie directors i feel like we're a game developer that makes games for game developers <laughs> um it seems to very much that our the types of things we make seem to really appeal to those people who are just entirely entrenched in game development and games in general um perhaps perhaps that's why it appeals to you i could definitely see that i can definitely and i i can sort of see that reflection also in your choices for some of the games that you've chosen today i feel like we'll get onto it but some of the games that you've chosen are also by other developers who maybe might feel very similar to mm. who make games that for the most part only other game developers appreciate um but i imagine the has into the breach been the same sort of train ride as FTL. I imagine there was a lot of hype for what you guys were going to do next, and obviously it's very difficult to have a follow up to a game like FTL. Yeah, but in I my mean, personal opinion, Into the Breach is for me a better game. I, I just I I could talk about Into the Breach instead of all the other <laughs> games today. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a better game too. I could definitely see why. Uh, certain people would very much prefer FTL and that's utterly fine. But to yeah. me going into this and it's probably clear from the design choices we made, like the goal is to make as clear and concise and small and, and refined of a small of a principle for a game as possible. And um, in that way, I, I, I hope that we achieved, but I, I feel like it, it's better, more polished than FTL, which is kind of like all over the place, but ended up being more fun than, any of us predicted i guess yeah and it's funny because the, there is a certain tactics based game that you've chosen on your list today that we'll get to <laughs> and I, i'm interested to see how how much influence was taken from other tactics based games to into the breach and whether it was like reverse engineering other tactics games to get to the design choices you had because whew, it's very mm. smart <laughs> yeah but just in, i mean the for, can you tell can you tell me before we sort of get into your eight games then, what, had you always wanted to work in video games? Because, I mean, it was a very short stint between working in AAA to then, you know, for the most part, your, your games industry career has now been subset games. 
Yeah. Has this always been something that you'd plan? Um, I didn't always expect that I would be in the industry, but my father has been in the games industry for like now 25, 30 years or something. But oh, wow. Entirely, yeah, entirely on the operations side, though. He doesn't know anything about actual games, like playing them, which is still hilarious to me sometimes. Yeah, he worked on... Uh, he was with uh, Activision and Acclaim, so like way back Mortal Kombat and Turok and NBA yeah. Jam days. And then, so growing up, I would go to the, his office every so often and, you know, play developmental build of, you know, hacked Goro, totally malfunctioning. Uh, or uh, <laughs> I got like, I remember I got a dev kit of the N64 at his office and before it came out in the US and was playing Super Mario Brothers, Brothers 64. And it just utterly blew my mind at that point um yeah and i think i still have a ps2 dev kit <laughs> which i probably shouldn't but i think it's, it's somewhere <laughs> it's not not like the proper dev kit but like the one that could at least read oh read not like CDs. the big monolith tower no no thing. no just just the one that can read a burned copy of a game or something ah uh, okay um, um so who who in the family thinks they've made better games? Does your dad think his games have been better, or or does he bow down to the the success of FTL and Into the Breach? Well, judging from how he previously would go to meetings, and and they would be like, you know, hey, is Justin Ma your son? And then nowadays, apparently, he's like, wait, are you Justin Ma's father? So I think his opinion has shifted because now that I am frequently more known in the industry than he is <laughs> to his chagrin as well as pride i suppose yeah i'm not sure uh, <laughs> he's like god damn it stronger. i never should have invited him to play with the dev kits when he was younger yeah. <laughs> as he never sort of slightly hinted that he'd like to be employed by subset games is he not like <clears throat> justin <laughs> i'm a good designer <laughs> I, honestly subset wouldn't have succeeded in those early days without his sort of business help, like how to literally write contracts and negotiate terms and and form a company and all that. Um, He's more, if we got into like manufacturing and stuff and major scale things, I feel like we would give him more to do. But if we hired him, he would be super bored. (laughs) (laughs) We don't do a lot. (laughs) Is it still for the most part just you? Yeah. Is it still for the most part just you and Matthew then? Or do you have like a core team now that you sort of rely on? Um, So we have Isla, who is our community manager. But officially, in terms of like employees, it's still Matt and I. Um, Though we have, you know, a number of people that we've used multiple times now. Yeah. Ben Prunty and Andrew Church um, does our reporting and and helps us a lot for various other projects. But um yeah we we don't really intend to grow we both still work out of our individual houses i'm in seattle and matt's in the uk although he will likely move closer um soon isla's in colorado andrew's in japan ben's in california it's you know everybody's all over the place oh nice very international team 
That, that must be a nightmare. I mean, even trying to organize guests for this show is a nightmare for me. So it must <laughs> be a nightmare for you guys to all have meetings. Well, the way that you do that is by never having a meeting ever. <laughs> that is a good idea. Yeah. Just we, a we, nice email chain. <laughs> pretty much. We just use Slack. Um, Matt and I both just hate meetings. It's negative help to have a meeting generally. So we avoid them entirely. And I guess in general, we just need to find people who are willing and able to work in the type of environment that we yeah. have. And frankly, it's not most people. Most people cannot work from home and feel driven and challenged. Um, most people need to interact with other humans. Yeah. <laughs> I wish Japan would learn from you, and then I wouldn't have to go to so many meetings. And <laughs> see, Japan, you can make FTL and into the breach, and you don't need a single meeting. I wish... I wish you would get on board with this. Japan just loves to have meetings for no reason. Everyone in Japan. So oh, strange. Man. It's so that strange. sounds painful. <laughs> it's very painful, especially when it's like three hours for like an addendum to a document or something. Oh, like, anyway. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Justin, I'm very sorry because I have to send you away to a deserted island. There's no more working at home for you. Now you are being shipped off by whatever means you'd like. We we recently had a battle bus from Fortnite. I guess that could carry you over to the deserted island or a ship or a crate, um, whatever your preference is to uh, get to this deserted island. But I do apologize that this is now your fate and you are to put up with only taking eight games with you to a deserted island. And the eight games you've chosen are lovely and varied as well, which is always great and to talk about. But I think it's about time that we do jump into them and we start talking about your final games. So if you've got your bags packed and stuff, are you ready to go, Justin? I am completely ready. Awesome. As much as I will be. <laughs> okay, so how about we start talking about these eight games? So let's listen to some music from the first game on Justin's list. And let's, of course... Dive right into Justin's final games. So kicking things off on Justin's list is a, I think becoming a Final Games classic at this point for a very good reason. I feel like if you were going to go to a deserted island, this game is obviously almost the perfect game um, to help you deal with the long hours being tracked alone. It is the game developed by Mojang and originally made by Marcus Notch person back in early 2007, I think he started development of this with the official release back in 2009. Um, it's sold well over, what, 74 million copies Jeez. with 144 million across all platforms. <laughs> 
It's the second best selling video game of all time behind Tetris. Good old Tetris, still kicking it. Um, <laughs> Notch is chilling in his mansion these days, but we're sending Justin away with Minecraft as his first game. Justin, why is Minecraft going with you? Yeah, so my approach to the, these, this question was not necessarily my favorite games, but the games I would be most willing to spend the most time on. Yeah. Uh, and Minecraft in particular is perfect for just expressing your creativity if you had unlimited time. <laughs> if I had unlimited time and could build entire cities and whatever forests or any grand spectacles or even try and learn how to use redstone at all. Uh, <laughs> Stop building computers. Yeah, I feel like this would be a perfect tool, essentially, a playground to have uh, when you're stuck with nothing else to do forever the ability also just to mm, explore and feel a new world is extremely compelling despite you know despite the graphics and despite how many times i've played it it is still just enjoyable to see new vistas and uh, i i don't know if i would ever get tired of it perhaps i would but not yet so this is the question I sort of put forward the most, especially with all this time. Everyone sort of has that ideal build that they want to try, whether it's like the Enterprise or cities from Game of Thrones or whatever. Is there like something in your mind that you would ideally want to build? Like that would be your first big project with all that time. I can't say I do. Um, there's nothing like from another media that I desperately want to make, I kind of want to just treat it as like a, a blank sketch pad and doodle essentially create whatever comes to mind at the time, be it a city or an orchestral or something. Have you spent much time with Minecraft in the past? Is it like a game you've played a lot before? Is it sort of that oh, I've played it a little bit. I know what I can get out of it. And this seems like the perfect choice. Um, let's, it's hard to judge when you say a lot with a game like this because it was yeah. like a lot for me, but probably not that much compared to people who really dig into it. I, you know, I played mostly survival and didn't really poke around creative. Um, and I also played a lot while working at 2K. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I never really sort of was able to fully commit and really spend a lot of time to create something Mostly because, like so many other games on this list, perhaps, the actual creativity that's involved with uh, creating spaces and playing this game is often satisfied by my job. So if I'm tackling creative problems in Minecraft, I feel this perpetual guilt of, I should probably just be working right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, same thing with like puzzle games or like those programming puzzle games. I feel like I would only be able to enjoy those if I didn't make games for a living. Uh, so this is I, like, this is your pseudo game making choice. Yeah, I almost included, um, I almost included, you know, Pico Eight or something or Game Maker, but I figured that would be a little too cheeky. Yeah, Game uh, Maker would be a little cheeky. We've had people try to choose Pico Eight before, and. Um, I'm, I'm almost inclined because it is a virtual fantasy console. It is kind yeah. of. It is kind of okay, but choosing something like Minecraft is definitely 
skirting my rules perfectly <laughs> fine. There's no don't have to pull out the giant magical rule book for this one. It yeah. makes a lot of sense. What is it about games like Minecraft? What is it about Minecraft that people tend to prefer especially game designers over games like Terraria or Starbound or, or other stuff that maybe has more content per se but less building creativity, I think. I think it's because um Something like Terraria gives you pieces of things, whereas uh, Minecraft is basically just block. It's just Legos. You could do whatever you want with them, whereas with Terraria, it's much more constrained with the sort of things that you can create with them. You know, this is specifically a wall, and this is specifically a you know a banister or whatever. Whereas with Minecraft, you can sort of find uses for things uh, that are in a more varied way than the other more limited games. Um, I really do think part of it has to do with the exploration and the, the feeling of the, like, just what's over the, the horizon sort of, um, feeling of seeing new places. And at least for me, that plays a big role. And because a lot of the creativity stems from seeing a particular environment and then, being inspired to make something that fits that particular environment more than starting with a flat world and creating, you know, like a crazy castle or something, which, you know, maybe I would do if I had infinite time, time, but uh, especially <laughs> if I had no other means of creativity, I would probably just end up cre using it to make pixel art when I got super crazy bored and stuff. Yeah, that's Although, true. Honestly, you can do like the Perla art stuff and yeah. build like giant pixel art stuff. Yeah, that it fits all... It fits all sort of uh, areas of expertise. You can make. You can also make music. I've seen people make oh, yeah. music in there. You can make computers, so you can do pro small bits of programming. You can make artwork. It covers it covers all bases. It's a. I mean, it goes without saying. Minecraft is an incredibly good choice if you're going to a deserted island. Yeah, it's definitely my practical one. Like, if it wasn't for if I didn't pick Minecraft, I'd have to pick something like. Uh, um, whoop, it escaped me. The the Vive drawing game by Google. Uh, um, tilt brush. Tilt brush. Yeah. Yes, tilt brush. Yeah. Just I need some sort of creative outlet, and this is as good as any. Very much so. Well, you can take it with you. And speaking of deserted islands, we should move on to the next game and also talk about the actual island in which you're going to. So let's listen to some music from the next game, and let's of course dive straight into it. So before we jump into the next game, Justin, we have to talk about the actual deserted island in which we're sending you. Obviously, 
you, you, you're ready to be creative on the islands. You've got Minecraft and the go and you can make whatever you want. But the, the place in which you have to be has to be maybe a nice and serene place for you to get your creativity flowing. Um, of course, it's pretty cruel. We're sending you to a deserted island or a deserted place with only eight games. You know, no family loved ones, no friends. It's kind of kind of shitty. But I at least want to make you comfortable. So, in terms of the deserted place, I allow you the choice. But it has to be a place from video games. So, you can take anywhere from video games and make it a deserted place. No NPCs, no uh, characters who can help you escape or anything like that. But if it has maybe dangerous wildlife, per se, you have to be <laughs> a little careful. Yeah, so, so no monster hunter. I uh, well, you could have like the the, the camp, couldn't you? But if you stra strayed out of the camp, maybe in Monster Hunter World or something like that, could be a little dangerous. I could oh. I could very easily tell you where I wouldn't want to go, and that is Antichambers World. Yes, break break my mind. That would uh, suck. That would suck. Um, yeah. So I heard this question on one of the other uh, talks you did, and I tried. So the first thing that popped my my mind, I think, is what I'll go with rather than trying to overthink this one. And it would be the sort of, I don't even remember what they call it, the afterlife uh, Asgard from Valkyria, uh, Valkyrie Profile. Oh, I don't know yeah. about that. I have, I've never played Valkyrie Profile. Can you explain to me why you would take So this? Valkyrie Profile is, uh, it's like a JRPG where you're playing a Valkyrie, um, seeing the stories of famous people and warriors as they're about to die and then ferry them into you know the sort of viking inspired afterlife where they will then be sent to fight against the demons or whatever they call them and so as you play the game you get this crew of of dead warriors and periodically have to send them off to go fight for heaven um and the the afterlife space was just utterly beautiful sort of floating islands, flowers in the mountains vibe alongside your standard Viking halls and infinite feasts and that sort of thing. And I sort of, the reason why I was initially drawn to that as where to spend my time was it's beautiful and serene at the same time that it's melancholy and this sort of feeling of, um, sort of purgatory since I didn't want to just be somewhere super happy like you know Mario Sunshine since that's just going to feel hollow with no one else there so I think <laughs> yeah it's, just empty houses yeah just embrace the the feeling of what it actually is is being stuck in purgatory but at least in a pretty place that probably has infinite nice food ah so almost like a heaven that that I mean, I can't argue against that. That sounds really, really nice. <laughs> yeah, just sort of a long afterlife theme. Anyway. Although it sounds kind of creepy sending you to the afterlife. It feels like I'm, I'm murdering you. Yeah, well, if I'm now just I feel a bad. tourist, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like you're floating down the river Styx or something. Yeah, I'm just, just a tourist, don't worry. Yeah, like I'm just... a map out. Just <laughs> oh, so that's where Hades place. lives. Ah. <laughs> But the next game that you're going to be playing in the afterlife, oh, I, pro I promise not to kill you, I promise. Uh, <laughs> the next game that you're going to be playing is a, a vertical scrolling shooter arcade game that was developed by uh, Seibu Kaihatsu. Back in 1993, it originally released for the arcade. It's a game I've never played, 
So I'm very interested to hear why you're taking it. It's uh, called Raiden 2. Yeah, I love this game. It's definitely not the best shmup out there, but it has an important place in my heart, perhaps. Um, so one of the most notable things about this game, if you've played it, you will remember, is the purple beam, which is one the normal weapons like a laser, I believe, and then the red one, which is like bullets. Then there's the purple beam, which connects between enemies. And if you you have to continually fire and press the button to basically build up its strength until it gets to be this super large beam. And you can sort of manipulate it to hit as many enemies on screen at the same time. And is just an incredibly satisfying, powerful feeling weapon in general. But I definitely wanted a shmup on here because I love the high skill cap and the sort of ability to get better and better at these sorts of games uh, you know yeah. like ikaruga or recently i've been playing danmaku unlimited 3 which is an extremely good game in my opinion but uh raiden 2 or raiden 2 i played a lot as a kid in the arcades and then in college there was a of the two arcade machines in like the student center, one of them was Raiden 2. And uh, I played so... Basically, every time I was stressed, I would go there, blast headphones of some intense electronic music and play this game using both controllers, trying to play as both ships at the same time and have them <laughs> just weaving because it was... I would just like try and like weave them in between all the shots and just be as ridiculous as possible while I'm trying to like consistently fire both uh, weapons, you know, with my pinky or whatever on one. Yeah. Hand. And it was just this sort of cathartic release, you know, that the flow state that everyone, you know, says is a goal of so many activities. Like this was just instant flow state for me. Lose, lose the ego, lose the sense of self get completely lost in the game and i i would definitely want to spend a ton of time trying to be able to beat the entire game with two ships at the same time for example i have noticed that the list of games you've chosen are all games that tend to be games that you try and try and try again and get better and better or more efficient at is this kind of the start of that yeah for me, the reason why games are fun in general is because you're learning. As soon as I stop learning something, the game stops becoming fun for me. Okay. And learning is pretty broad in my definition, at least, which is, uh, you know, it could be learning about a world. It could be learning a skill. It could be learning about myself. It could be learning a new ability. It could be learning the way that the different champions interact with each other. Oh, yeah. this, this is a combo in League of Legends that I've never seen before and how they interact is slightly different, so I'm learning something. Basically, um, something being introduced to the player at a quite a consistent rate. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter what be. it is. But yeah, but if I'm going to be continually playing a game, I have to be continually learning. So generally that means high skill cap, high self-expression ability, you know, like... I adore Celeste, for example, and, and one of the reasons is you being successful through a screen isn't entirely just you have to do the exact set of jumps that was you know designed by the team. There's a lot of creativity and you can put yourself yeah. into the movements and the flow. And so anything that lets you continually explore mechanics and continually essentially learn from the game somehow uh, is is really important, especially for a list of things that 
I expect to play over and over and over again. It's funny because I actually recently bought Ikaruga again on the Switch with the Switch port that was just released, and I forget how damn hard these games are. Oh, I, God, yeah. <laughs> they're so hard. I haven't played a shoot 'em up I think, since... Um, oh, one... Dodon, Dodon Pachi Resurrection on the sure. Xbox 360. So, just... These games will have no mercy upon you. Well, <laughs> some of them are more skill-based with, like, yeah. you know, skill-focused, like, your bullet hells. But Ikaruga, in particular, is just a mindfuck. It's just, you know, like, can you shift your ability to perceive things on the fly? Uh, and it, I love that game, and I would have picked it for this list, except for... I bought it on the Switch as well, and I really want to get back into it and figure out how to be good at it. And I just don't know if I ever can. <laughs> like, I'm sure there's there's things that I can learn and eventually be good enough to beat the game, like through with no continues or whatever. But I'm I'm at such a hard wall of like I don't know how I would actually get better at this. It would have to be, I guess, that whole memorizing everything and knowing exactly the triple shot combo. Yeah. Black, white, black. But Being I, able yeah. to immediately detect whether something needs the red bullets or the blue bullets or something oh, like man. that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it'd be possible. That's why I didn't put it on this list. <laughs> <laughs> so going with red and two is the safe bet. The, yeah, yeah. You know you can finish that one day and get better yeah. scores. <laughs> without, without pulling my hair out in the process. <laughs> well, speaking of getting high scores and moving fast... Physically, uh, I think we should move on to the next game um, uh, because this is a this is a game series that's still incredibly popular here in Japan, and I I don't know if you've ever walked into a Japanese arcade, Justin, but people seem to people seem to be like robots over here, and especially when they play this game, I don't even know how people can physically move their bodies that fast. So I'm wondering if you are like one of those people or you are hoping to achieve enlightenment in your Valkyria profile heaven and become as fast as these people at this next game. So why don't we listen to some music from the next game and let's of course, let's dance straight into it. So jumping into the next game, you didn't really specifically put down the title you want to go for. So I'm assuming you want to take the first game in this series, Justin. Um, no, it's just I have no idea which Dance Dance Revolution Cabinet is the best, which is the most. <laughs> and I didn't really want to do the research. But if I was going on this island, I probably would spend the time to figure out which one to take. 
It would definitely be the cabinet that has the most songs. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna whichever say you're gonna take whichever which one that is. I am not a Dance Dance Revolution expert at all. Um, I remember having the PlayStation Two versions back in the day with the dance pad at home, and then I would see it sometimes in arcades and be like, "Oh my god, it's that game! That game I have at home! Wow, <laughs> look at this big steel box that you can jump all over and make noise with!" And then I moved to Japan, and then it's just everywhere still. In- incredible um do you have some experience with dance dance revolution what is it about this game series that makes you want to take it with you uh simply i really wanted something to force me to move a lot and i did love this game growing up we got it on ps2 as well and we would just my brother and i would just play it for hours as basically a workout and even in college my uh my wife then girlfriend we would just play this game for you know two hours straight and just have a great time um i love just moving with the music in a prescribed way that isn't as daunting as dancing in general (laughs) (laughs) this is a it's i don't know more accessible to me in terms of being able to have a goal have clear progress you know i'm clearly getting better at something or learning the moves or the track or whatever as well as a game that once you get good enough you can end up expressing yourself rather than the some of these arcade professionals who you know lean back and just use their feet or whatever yeah who just kind of casually sit back smoking while their feet does all the talking it's uh, yeah and then there's the other guys who like choreograph a dance across three you know of these machines that are all linked together or whatever so i i think that it would offer a lot of room to grow as uh, a sort of person i guess or at least physically and enjoy music as well as enjoying the ability to move and hopefully not get too lethargic on my own so I mean, it's, it's it's less about having a rhythm game and more about just physically moving around then like kind of tricking yourself to maybe get some exercise maybe uh, they'd say that you know for if you're going to survive solitary confinement, you need to have a routine that involves physical. <laughs> I think it's a bit different between you going to almost a heaven-like place and solitary confinement. Well, if there's no person you're ever interacting with, you, you def- it definitely will okay. have some psychological issues. But um, I, I also just genuinely love the game and would love to spend a lot of time dancing around. However, I would say that if it had more songs, I would absolutely take beat saber over dance dance revolution holy cow beat saber is amazing i am so jealous because i have wanted to play john's game for so long well it's so fucking good i don't have a vr setup for me to be able to play it and it just looks like the best thing ever if you're ever in seattle uh hit me up you will find it is the best thing ever. <laughs> I love that so, game so much. B- because of Beat Saber's popularity, though, we know it's definitely going to get more songs. And the last thing I, I saw that he was making, he was kind of making like a custom thing that would allow you to import tricks, if I remember correctly. Um, would, knowing that information, would you swap out Dance Dance Revolution for Beat Saber? I, I would swap it out maybe three years from now. But as it stands... The the reason why it's so good is because they're handcrafted levels and because they ah, do such a good okay. job. Um, and the flow states that you can get into um, with the motions is just incredible. Way, way more 
powerful to me than like Dance Dance Revolution or something like that. In part because it involves your whole body, but in yeah. part because they frankly do such a good job at syncing with the songs, especially on the higher difficulties. And uh, at least what I've seen from the sort of custom levels or automatically generated levels from other games, it just wouldn't come close to, Loses to the a bit. satisfying feel. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, I absolutely adore rhythm games. For anyone oh, yeah, who's listened same. to the show for a long time, I love rhythm games so much. And I'm always intrigued by new rhythm games and kind of how they experiment with the rhythm game genre. We have a lot in Japan that experiment all the time where they have like either new peripherals or new like ways of, of interacting with the game to a beat. You know, obviously we have famous stuff like uh, Tatsuno Taikujin and stuff like that. And I've, oh, I really want to play Beat Saber. I, it annoys me so much that I can't play it. <laughs> of Do they not having... have any at the, like, the VR cafes out there? Oh, maybe in Tokyo they'll have one, but maybe I don't know if they'd be playing Beat Saber because obviously Beat Saber is still you know, kind of an indie title. Just but, go and install it on their computer. It's oh, fine. I'm going to have to find it somehow. I, uh, every time I see it pop up, I'm like, ah, like biting my wrist because <laughs> I can't play it. Um, is there any other sort of rhythm games that you're into that you've uh, spent an extensive time with? Um, let's see. I mean, I loved Rhythm Heaven, Tenkoku, yes. and even just the drum kit simulator on the DS one, I just adored. Um, the... I played like the Taiko drum simulator that I forgot the name of. And... Tatsujin no Taiko. Taiko no Tatsujin? Yeah. yeah, that's the one. And Voice, I think, is good for touch screens. I think it's one of the better ones. V O E Z. That's um, the Switch one, right? Uh, I haven't tried it on Switch. I only tried it on phone or iPad. Oh, okay. It's really satisfying. Also, like Os. Osu. Um, Os. Yeah, that was a. That was. That takes me back, but that was a really good game. Um, I, I also had that DJ game. DJ Hero? Yeah. No, before that. Before, the really old one. The really the old two. one. Ooh. Yeah, where it's like, it's very Japanese. I don't remember what it was called, but um, there was like, that, that game was good. It just had like five songs that were decent. And so I just couldn't put <laughs> so much time into it. Was it literally just called DJ? I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe it was DJ Hero and I'm just misremembering. But it was like, I feel like it was before Guitar Hero took its reign. It was still okay, the DDR yeah. times. Ah, yeah, because Japan was like 10 years ahead of us in terms of that kind of stuff. Obviously, Guitar Freaks and there was the there was the arcade DJ game. I forget what it's called in Japan. Oh, but yeah. For a long time, they were they were around way before Guitar Hero and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to get into the arcade games, but it just the the money cost is absurd to me. I'm just unwilling to go and spend, you know, in one playthrough, you know, fifteen twenty dollars, and then do that every week or something. Yeah, that's just very odd to me. <laughs> but you know, we can we can fix an arcade machine to allow you to just have infinite coins on the, in your heaven. So it's fine. So your DDR cabinet or whatever, you can just play free play as much as you like, no problem. I look forward to it. <laughs> well, we should move on to the next game now and talk about games that are way smarter than I could ever, <laughs> ever in my own brain, wrap my head around. The Zachtronic games are games that, to me, are just incredible, but 
beyond a level of thinking I think I can reach. I'm not smart enough for this kind of game, and it saddens me <laughs> greatly. But we should move on to the next game and listen to some music first. And then let's, of course, try and figure our heads, or have Justin explain to simpletons like me why this game's so great. So jumping into the next game then, Justin, you're going to have to help me out here, as I mentioned. You're gonna... <laughs> I don't think my brain can reach this kind of level of thinking. Um, but Zach, Zach, developer Zachtronics, incredible developer. Um, we've had some of Zachtronics games before, um, like Space Cam and uh, Infinity, Infinity Factory. I, I don't know how someone can develop the games that he does. <laughs> it's incredibly smart and incredibly beautiful to look at. Uh, the game that you're going to be taking with you, though, is a game that released last year in December. It's a puzzle sort of programming game where you have to become as efficient as possible by manipulating atoms, I believe, um, or, or, or products of atoms. It is the puzzle-based programming game that is Opus Magnum. Justin, please, <laughs> please, please help me out here. Yeah. So if you tried like Space Cam or Infinite Factory, it's essentially the same concept. You're you have inputs of a certain objects. You have a manners with which to move them around and combine them, and an output and a specific location. And yeah. Because you have to use various tools to manipulate them around that take up physical space, you could run into problems of you know arms running into each other and objects blocking each other and so it's a puzzle game where you basically have to have be very spatially aware and uh resolve you know unlike something well not too dissimilar from something like factorio where you're trying to create a essentially a really efficient machine to do a certain task over and over this game is way micro scale in comparison and is incredibly elegant in design and visual presentation. I would be perfectly happy taking almost any of his non-programming focused uh, <laughs> games to, 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 um, to my island. But this one in particular, I feel like the calming mood and the aesthetics just appeal to me way more. Um, honestly, uh, these types of games, I don't play a lot of them right now. I play... A little bit and i'm like oh this is brilliant and then i stop in part because it feels too much like my job <laughs> it's yeah basically it's the same you know i spend most of my time struggling with game design problems and the sort of thought process that one has to go into to solve those is very similar to very solving. very similar yeah zach's puzzles and in that way 
I, I have so much trouble devoting time to it similarly to just, just I should I, when I play it I just feel like I should be working instead I should, <laughs> like this doesn't make me money whereas this other thing does make money so I should probably put the brain to that task instead of this one but um, in a space without work or a job or any outlet in that way I would definitely like to have one of his games there to basically satisfy that itch uh, in a very calming and comforting way and also. It- with this one in particular, there's a lot of room for different approaches to creativity, be it the most efficient, smallest moves or most elegant and most gorgeous looking um, production line. And so it's it, it really begs replaying and, and refinement, and I feel like it would be great for this. It's weird because you kind of do hit on the mark a little bit. Like when I look at sort of, I don't want to say high level play, but more complex play of Opus Magnum, it definitely does resemble to me, me trying to remember and think of all the different scripts of my own games, like Mm -hmm. in my head at once and trying to watch them all compartmentalize over the top of each other. And like, this goes here, this goes here. When this does this, this, this happens here. Like... It is like a visualization of me trying to remember everything that's going on in my, in my game at one time. Nice. It's so complicated, but there is like a, you know, as they say, there's like beauty in the madness. And mm. when everything's working perfectly in this game, it looks incredible. It looks so nice. And I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I feel like unlike Space Chem, though, it's a little bit more understandable in that you know when you glance at it it's overwhelming but the individual pieces are all completely understandable yeah and and very clear so it ends up being this game of trying to see the forest for the trees while also not being overwhelmed by it it's like i'm just going to be working down with this small fraction of the whole problem as a whole you know, and then solve this and then solve this next minor problem. And every once in a while, step back and see the whole picture. And in that way, it, it really resembles design work in general. I don't, I think we, I've spoken about Zex games before on Final Games, and I just cannot wrap my head around playing them, let alone making them, which is incredible stuff. Um, is this the kind of game, obviously Into the Breach is a game Obviously, similar vein in terms of thinking, you know, having to sort of reverse engineer what has been laid out in front of you and try to figure out what the designer's sort of uh, thinking is when making this kind of thing. Is Opus Magnum the type of game that you would like to make in the future? Is it sort of... I can see similar lines of thinking between a game like Into the Breach and FTL with Opus Magnum. Um... I don't think it's something that I personally would like to make in part because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a more straight puzzle game. And I think what I personally like to make the most are sort of um, systematic games where the different elements interact with each other in unexpected ways. Basically, I like making games where I get completely surprised and shocked while playing them myself. And I feel, I could be wrong, but I feel like the actual mechanics interactions, Zach would struggle to find ways in which he didn't expect, even if the the sort of surprise and the fun comes with the actual solutions that people come up with and the way uh, yeah. that they use those mechanics ends up being 
the thing that really uh, shocks you. And in general, I, uh, I'm not the type of developer that like loves to see, um, and interact with like the fans and, and see their, you know, ways they solve the game. Like, I don't like watching playthroughs of our games and stuff like that. Um, I literally just want to make games that I want to play myself, I guess. And I'm not sure what Zach's, uh, mentality is going with these, but, I would, you know, I would love to be able to make a game like his. It would be incredible, but I just don't, I'm not certain it would be something that I would be drawn to enough to make it as elegant as he did. Yeah. Do you still play Into the Breach quite frequently? Like as in your own personal time? Because this is the thing I have found about a lot of game designers is, as you quite rightly said, they like to make games that they would like to play. So I'm wondering even after, you know, four years of development, you're still sat there putting your mind at task against what you've created um i don't but that's because you know i've already played through three times getting every achievement or whatever to make sure it yeah works. but but basically those three times playing through the game uh, for everything were enjoyable like very often i would sit there and just be like oh that was actually challenging and then i forget that i was trying to test one specific bug or something you know? <laughs> you're like damn i gotta do it again <laughs> yeah and so in that way you know that's i guess the way that i end up playing it. i'm sure you know whenever i like poke around and make new content or something for fun um that's a way that i end up playing it i, I very rarely just sit down and play it like legitimately like you know sans developers cheats yeah Sim- similarly i've never beaten ftl with on hard without you know the testing mode and just like <laughs> without a little bit of debug in there <laughs> yeah you know i i've gotten so close so many times but i just keep choking at like the third phase there like, you go people there you go serious. if you're struggling yes. with ftl or into the breach there you go there you go yeah, <laughs> from justin no, himself <laughs> me too yeah i'm sure i could because i have beaten the boss uh, you know like reloading and multiple times of the you know to test certain things yeah which one never actually put the pieces together and sat through and beat a playthrough which one do you think is tougher i think ftl is way harder okay Um, but i i think that um is the case what i mean by tough isn't like an individual's ability to beat the game yeah i mean is this game solvable and i think that what you need to know to be able to solve Uh, into the breach is way more understandable in part because there's very few turns there's very few actions like in terms of ways that you can screw things up there's way less like small ways and 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 so if you can beat the game you know if it's possible to win it has to be solvable and if it has to be solvable it's inherently easier where um whereas with you know ftl there's very easily ways early on you can get stuck in some sort of situation with depending on the luck of the locations that you choose you you could effectively have probably you know no chance that being said there are people who play it on hard no pause and win 30 times in a row and i don't know how they do that but um i do think that while i do think that inner breach is easier because it's solvable um i have seen many people who struggle very much with the sort of lateral thinking that the game requires you to, to have. To yeah, have there is an element of decision-making that can really influence how your game is going to go each time and can really screw you up depending on the decisions you make. Yeah, and 
just the type of thinking that it requires, it seems to appeal or at least is easier to a different set of people. Whereas, you know, I'll watch, I'll hear about one guy who's tried playing it uh, and for, you know, 15 hours and never gotten past the first island. And then someone else who just picks it up, beats it on normal, is like, all right, I guess I'm playing it on hard. So the ability to grasp the sort of type of thinking that is required to play that game varies greatly between people. Yeah. Um, but but if, you know, that so that learning curve could take someone a lot longer than someone else. But in general, because it, it can be solved. It, like, I could be on hard every single time, um, basically, without fail. Damn. Can you tell me whether this is good? It took me 14 hours for me to first, for the first time that I, I won, I quote, won the game. Uh, by good, you mean average? Or like, compared to other people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14, uh, 14 yeah, I, that's pretty good. I think. Oh. Yeah. Whew, it took me so long <laughs> to get that win. <laughs> nah, you gotta own your own. Everyone's different. Everyone comes with different smoke. Different smoke, man. Smoke's my favorite. S- using smoke yeah. manipulation. Yeah, yeah. That one's that one was a really fun spot. In my opinion, uh, one of the stronger ones. Anyway, we're not here to talk crazy breach, even though we <laughs> want to. <laughs> we're here to talk about other people's games, and we should move on to the next one because it's another game that I've watched a lot of videos about, uh, especially previous guest matt lee's uh video about this being one of the best games he's ever played um i'm very intrigued because it is one of those games where you start you play you die you go again and those type of games always intrigue me uh so let's listen to some very haunting creepy music from this next game let's of course dive straight into it So jumping into the next game is a game developed by Sorath, and it was released back in 2016 for the PC. It's a first-person shooter uh, where you use your like devil-like hand to uh, shoot as many demonic enemies in a really creepy, haunting, almost platform of darkness. You can't really see what you're doing until you get very close to these enemies, and they will kill you very easily. As the player character, you sort of just have to survive as long as possible as hell basically swarms all over you. Uh, the next game that Justin's going to be taking with him is Devil Daggers. Justin, why is Devil Daggers going with you? I love this game. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the I definitely want a first-person shooter in along with me, and I was struggling to find one that like I would be willing to play for infinity hours, and this is the most obvious choice. You know, like as much as I, I like the flow and the pacing of moving within Doom, um, I imagine the sort of level structure would end up getting tiresome. 
And Devil Daggers is essentially... Uh, it's like you've distilled the print, the concept of what a first-person shooter is and the skills that are required to use it and just jammed it all in this tiny, tiny little package. The, the ability to aim, you know, the ability to track projectile distance based on how far enemies are, the ability to move quickly, the spatial awareness, the, you know, ability to track where things are in 3D space without looking at them. It requires so much in such a simple package. I guess one of the only things it doesn't is too much like verticality or movement across large spaces, but you still have to keep, you have to have a mental map at all times of where you are. Yeah. You're always looking up and the stage has a limited size and you can just fall off of it. And so it is one of these perfect games where it, you know, it's easy just to start playing since you're using the same skills, but as you have in many other games, but to actually feel competent in it and get good at it is incredibly hard in my opinion and i i don't know maybe there's like an end game that you can actually win or if it maybe it scales infinitely i don't know but i imagine this would give me a long time to enjoy refining my first person shooter skills have you played much of it before is it something you've dipped your toe into and you're like this is my jam this is this is the kind of thing i love I played, uh, oh gosh, is this long ago at this point? But um, yeah, it's like one of those games where I don't want to start playing it because I know I could spend a lot of time in it and I have too many other games to try and steal designs from. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, as, like basically as a you know developer, I feel this obligation to, to see and learn from as many varied things as possible. And while I feel like I've gotten all that I can as a developer out of this game after the, like, oh, 10 hours or 20 hours or whatever. Um, uh, you know, I feel like I, I could just keep playing it and learning it <laughs> as, as an individual to get better. I'm not, like, a big score hunter guy. I don't really care about, like, high scores. And, Which is and, so weird because, like, half friends. of this list consists of high school games. Yeah, I mean, it's just something with me in general i'm not a competitive person okay against other people i am very competitive against myself okay my own internal goals so like i i don't care about actually beating someone so much as being able to be of the high enough quality to be able to beat someone if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely i definitely understand that as someone who doesn't particularly like playing against other people i am definitely very hard on myself and I'm always trying to improve personally. Yeah, I don't. And also, you know, when it comes to competitive stuff, it's, you know, like poker, for example. I like learning about the game and I can get good against AI opponents online, but put me in a room with other people and I suddenly lose all ability to <laughs> make reasonable decisions based on the stimuli given to me. <laughs> the more logical decisions, you're like, ah. Uh... I'm just going yeah, to ignore that just now. just confound me. I, I, can't, <laughs> I cannot process it. Yeah. People have too many... Uh, oh, what, do we, uh, what do you say? Too, too many probabilities. Variables, yeah. yeah there's too many things can happen with real human people. <laughs> Whereas yeah. even if AI beat you, you're kind of like, well, I could have beat them. Whereas with a not human, not you're to, like... 
not to derail but like you know the game of thrones board game the yes map control one yeah i think that's a brilliant design but god i hate it so much (laughs) it's just like the type of game where at any point even mid conversation with someone else you can be planning to screw someone over and um and that is just so i'm so bad at that game (laughs) just anxiety flaring up all the time i just can't deal with it (laughs) but yeah so personal challenge and personal goals and and high difficulty games that that i feel like i can continually get better at are my jam and if i feel like i hit a wall i'll basically you know like i feel like i can't get physically better at the game like ikaruga i'm not certain i can i'll stop playing but um, I, I love games like this. Are you going to be okay playing this creepy dark hellscape in heaven on your own? I love the soundscape in this game. It, the the once you play it enough, it, it stops becoming creepy and it just becomes information. Especially if you have good headphones. Uh, on. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just audio information, and it, it doubles as both so effectively in my mind. Um, being able to to maintain the map in your head of what's around you at all times, uh, along with your ability to move through that space, and this, the audio does such a good job at that. Like, you know, I love the chaos of Doom, you know, the new Doom. Yeah. But I just wish, you know, I not that I have anything against the music. I if I'm playing on harder, I will turn the music off. Um, you know, it's like it's supposed to be up there to up your adrenaline, yada yada yada. But I don't need that extra adrenaline boost. The game is as intense enough even without the the pounding music, and and to be able to use uh, audio cues more effectively is frankly more helpful to me in a challenging game than pure atmosphere. So you don't want like chugging guitar riffs behind you. You want to be able to actually hear the demons that are sneaking up behind you. Yeah, well, as opposed to you know um, Raiden where I would love just blasting music and I have no need for audio cues whatsoever in like a 3D spatial awareness games. It's, it's yeah, especially in a game like Devil Daggers where you're trying to survive or last as long as possible. You need as much information as you can. You don't want to hinder yourself. Yeah. It's almost like handicapping yourself, not being able to listen yeah, to where absolutely. things are coming from. Yeah, because there's no, you know, in this game, one, hit, one touch of an enemy and you die. So yeah. There's no room for error. <laughs> I need to play it at some point. That's the one thing I hate about doing this show is people bring on games that I've never played before and then they have such a convincing argument. I'm like, well, now <laughs> I have to buy another video game. <laughs> it's not like I have enough time as it is. Yeah, no, <laughs> but no now joke. I'm going to have to play da- Devil Daggers after this. <laughs> well, luckily with that game, you could play it for like an hour and be like, I get it. And then if you don't want to play it anymore, it's fine. And it's a cheap game. I suggest everyone pick it up if you like first person shooters at all especially classic first person shooters like quake if, if yeah you're around during that time this like really has that vibe i really like the the, the fact that it's a hand like a demonic hand that you use <laughs> yeah. to fire stuff i love that aesthetic it's not a gun it's not anything it's just you firing like sharp daggers from your fingers it's so cool it's really yeah, really cool really harkens back to the vibe of that that era yeah it's, and weird low poly grotesque enemies coming at you oh it's awesome so good but uh speaking of awesome speaking of very very awesome uh the next game on justin's list is a game he's already sort of hinted at that he played before everybody else lucky <laughs> lucky uh so i think it's about time we listen to some of koji kondo's most beautiful music and let's of course dive right into the next game on justin's list 
so jumping into the next game on Justin's list, uh, it's a game that doesn't really need any introduction. It's one of the finest 3D platformers of all time. Basically, the granddaddy of 3D platformers, of good 3D platformers anyway. None of that PlayStation 1 nonsense that wasn't really good. Uh, developed by Nintendo EAD and directed, of course, by Miyamoto-san, Yoshitaki Kozumi, and Takashi Tezuka. Music by the wonderful Koji Kondo. It released originally in Japan in 1996 for the Nintendo 64. Uh, it was released then a little later in September of 1996 in North America. So, Justin, when was it that you were playing this next game, Super Mario 64? Ah, uh, man, I couldn't tell you. But it was before it came to the US because I played it on a Japanese um, N64 at my dad's office and just did not leave for hours and hours. Um, <sighs> So, yeah, so lucky. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I have to convince anyone why this game is good. But <laughs> to me personally, it it was just, and for so many other people, I'm sure the the amount of eye opening like emotion that came from the first time playing this game is hard to compare to anything else. I think maybe the closest jump from going. From you know Super Nintendo era to Mario sixty four that I could picture is going to VR these days. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the closest thing of where I could just be like, oh my god, this is the future. This is how things I can see where things are going from now, and yeah. I've never perceived what this would actually feel like, even if I knew it was going to be great. I, I, when you feel it, it's so different. I think VR is the, the closest that I can compare to that jump, and I, I don't know what the next would be, but. Um, yeah, this game, not only is it amazing for its time and just groundbreaking, but it's also just great to play now. I don't know if you pick it up again, but it's just still super fun and just does not get old. I it's used to play it, what they did. I used to play it fairly frequently for years and years and years. It, I always had my N64 right up through university and all that kind of thing. It was something I just had with me all the time. But since I moved to Japan, I actually haven't played it for a couple of years now. Yeah, I played it most recently on the 3DS, I guess. Um, but just, it, other than perhaps the camera, that's like the only thing that was improved, uh, you know, greatly in, in modern games, at least to sort of make the game not to hold up yeah. compared to the other ones. But like, you know, obviously other Mario games and other platforms and stuff, you know, made great strides to be make great games but this one in particular it's just something about the the sort of getting to know a specific region and spending enough time in a certain area to learn about it and explore really hits me hard and that's why i liked uh, uh odyssey so much compared to uh galaxy one and two i like i thought those were great games but like i have no desire to play them a second time whereas galaxy uh sorry odyssey i feel like i'll continue to go back to but um, something to do about really embracing what it is about a space that's compelling and really learning and feeling and, uh, and having it change between the sort of objectives that you're doing. It just really resonates with me. It's weird because you did say <clears throat> that you don't need to explain why you'd be taking this. And of course, it's one of the greatest games ever made. But many people would argue that there, 
you could put almost any Mario game on this list. Why is it specifically 64 over, for example, like other 3D Mario games like Mario Galaxy or Mario Odyssey? And then, of course, you have the 2D games, Super Mario Bros. 3, Super Mario World. Why is it that 64? Is it just because of how revolutionary the feeling was at the time? Let's see. Um, I think the only thing, the only Mario that I've come close to enjoying as much I've played basically all of them that's come out since uh, was uh, Odyssey. There's something about the design approach that I guess I haven't thought about enough that maybe it's this sort of map-based spatial exploration thing that I was talking about. But like, I will play a little bit of whatever new Super Mario Brothers side-scrolling one and play a bit and be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I've done this before. I do. Basically, I don't if I try and beat it and continue it playing, it's basically me trying to prove that I can conquer whatever random stuff that they throw at me. Whereas with Odyssey or Mario 64, it's just a joy, like movement, exploration, like just viewing the world and seeing the things you create, just wandering around is just pleasurable. It's, It's not this feeling of, Oh, I just need to show that I can do these things. It's no, I just want to spend time here. I just want to live in this space. Um, and I think Mario 64 because I know it so well I know that I won't get tired of it and that's why I, I would bring this one in particular and also watching uh, speedrunning in the last few years and seeing what people are doing there I know that there are sort of higher skill caps and higher you know levels of play that I could theoretically try and achieve um, over you know however many years I spend playing the game, and also oh. even if you get just get bored of it, you can just listen to that music. You can just have yeah. it to listen to the music, which is. I'm so sure good. part of it. Yeah, I'm sure part of it is that nostalgia that like, you know, reminding me of a time when things were nice and things <laughs> made sense, and uh, and I could just. <laughs> sort of sit in this world and, and like climb trees and, and just be silly and be uh, so I, I assume part of it is that um, also in terms of the, the my own personal interaction with the game like I said I played it in Japanese as a kid and I did not speak any Japanese and so the and there was no you know strategy guides or whatever so I, I was trying to like struggle forever to figure out what possibly could be the goals of each star you know like imagine ah yeah you could yeah, imagine get trying to to get in that like second map or whatever trying to shoot yourself at a corner of the wall in the cannon and trying to find that star when you have zero hints whatsoever um there there was it just embodied this magical other quality um and especially when I was a kid, like I, I said, I wasn't certain I would go into games. In part, like I was exposed to game developers, so the curtain was pulled back a bit. But I really adored games from Japan, and like most everyone else in the U.S., at least, who, who played those games, it was just this this weird space that was unknowable, where things came from it, and you and you didn't really, you know, it's just like it was like a gift from this place that was unknowable. And, you know, nowadays, like, it, it's not like that. I can just go over there and meet people who make games or whatever. But um, it still was kind of like that mystical other quality. And maybe this game and, you know, some Final Fantasies perhaps most embody that to me of um, sort of unattainable knowledge of what fun is, perhaps. 
I'm not certain. <laughs> Do you, are you someone who gets very nostalgic? You sound like you tiptoe back and forth between trying to trying to stay reasonable with your choices in terms of like, ah, oh, you know, sometimes things are game design has moved past this era and maybe it doesn't play as well and stuff like that where and then sometimes you just fall straight back into nostalgia um i'm a remarkably not nostalgic person um i i don't know which causes which but i have a terrible memory and so like i don't remember teachers names from college or what classes i took and i think in large part that's because i just literally never reminisce i never just sit there and think about or look at pictures about things in the past the only exception is games and as far as i can tell maybe there's maybe music to it no not even music if i listen to music that i liked as a kid i'll be like oh what is this garbage um but with games i feel like that's the only thing that i'm nostalgic for which maybe is a character flaw or maybe it's just why i work in games yeah, I, I don't get very nostalgic about music very much, even though music was a big part of me growing up. But with video games, it's like, oh, just can't even can't even stop myself sometimes. <laughs> just being in places here in Japan that sell retro games to me is better than playing them. Just being mm. surrounded by them and like having yeah. the nostalgia wash over me is something that I've just come to terms with as I get older. It's very nice. Yeah, in my garage, I still have... Like, I collected all the games that my brother and I got, you know, and, and so I just have, like, ten boxes of every system from Atari to whatever. Nice. Very, very nice. But speaking yeah, I was of... very fortunate to be able to be exposed to so many games. So. Yeah, it sounds like your dad was a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but speaking of uh, being nostalgic, um, but also just playing great games that are still great now... They're almost timeless, like Mario 64. I think we should move on to the second-to-last game on your list, Justin, and start talking about a game that uh, may have had some small influence in the game that you made. Maybe. You'll have to tell me. But let's listen to some excellent music from the next game, and let's, of course, dive straight into the second-to-last game on Justin's list. So jumping into the second to last game, the penultimate game on Justin's list of final games, is a game developed by Squaresoft before they became Square Enix and merged with Enix. Uh, it was released with a PlayStation 1 and was directed by uh, Matsuno-san, who created the world of Ivalice and Final Fantasy XII and all that really nice 
a sort of spin-off stuff for Square. It's a tactical role-playing game that released originally in 1997 in Japan. It's a game that's been chosen quite a few times on Final Games before because it's amazing. It's such a fantastic game with incredible gameplay mechanics and also just one of the most in-depth video game stories ever. Um, the next game on Justin's list is Final Fantasy Tactics. Justin, why is this going with you? And please tell me, did this influence any of Into the Breach? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite <laughs> games of all time. Top two, maybe. Uh, it definitely influenced Into the Breach, even if its influence is, what can I do that I did different from what I didn't like about Final Fantasy Tactics, which is very often how I approach a lot of design challenges. Is like, what can I do differently from what, I, what bothered me from other games but that being said like um i utterly adore this game the i could play i've I've played this maybe i don't know four times like you know 400 hours total or whatever yeah and i've never beaten it i've (gasps) never been i've never been willing to end it if you know like i it's like the book that you just don't want to finish the last page because you just don't want it to end you don't want to leave that space and that's what this game is for me is I, I've played it through, you know, like four full, you know, ninety nine percent completions, and then like you know, ten other short, complete, you know, half playthroughs or whatever. Uh, I just, as much as I can rail on some of the game here and there, just as a whole, the music, the atmosphere, the leveling structure, the complexity, the storytelling, the storyline, even if not the actual dialogue, sometimes. Uh, I just adore this game. So, do you think taking it with you to the deserted place, you would finally finish it at some point? Is it... I would hope so. <laughs> that would be funny if I didn't even then. Yeah, um, even then, through the many, many years of playing, you still didn't finish it. Yeah, I, I would assume that would be the plan and part of the justification for bringing it and playing through it so many times. So when it came to making it into the breach then, it, was it more you pushing this tactics-based idea because of your love of Final Fantasy Tactics? Or, was it, or, or did you and Matt sort of have a common ground about that type of genre of game? Um, yeah, in general, our games are just like the crossover of what we both like. We generally have pretty varied interests. Like Matt doesn't really care about shoot-em-ups, for example. But w- w- it started as a tactics game. And... It was more sort of traditional tactics, like turn-based. There was almost like a Final Fantasy X style, like turn counter, until we figured out that the sort of projected, the, the, the pre-knowledge of cued attacks of enemies was actually fun. And then when we tried that and we learned it was fun, we directed the whole game towards that. But throughout development, I definitely tried to jam in things that I love of other games. I tried for a long time to put um, the sort of squad-based management of Ogre Battle into into the breach. Yeah, because I love Ogre Battle, despite how flawed it is, and none of that worked, and we ended up scrapping that entirely. But uh, similarly, I can't say what exactly came from Final Fantasy Tactics, but it 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 is my pillar of what a tactic game is. So I'm sure. Almost anything that I discuss as enjoyable in tactics games has, is rooted in some way in my experience with Final Fantasy Tactics. Do you reckon Matsuno-san would like playing uh, Into the Breach? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs>
I feel like they they revel too much in sort of unknowable metrics and we go the opposite way of I want literally nothing hidden from the player. Yeah. Like I I don't know if you remember this and I'm certain I've forgotten the, the actual mechanics but like not only are there like t- the hidden mechanics and never clearly exp- explained what bravery and faith does but like based on your own personal like you know zodiac symbol uh like there's this ebb and flow of like luck this that there's so many hidden numbers i don't even actually remember it but like so many hidden numbers that affect various things that you could theoretically play around but they they really just want you to feel like the game is super deep um based on the way these things interact in sort of unknowable ways and while I respect that as a design approach and is clearly one of their goals and they achieve it, I very much disagree from a designer point of view. I want to know literally what everything does because if I don't, if I can't make a clear decision based on the information, it's completely useless to me as yeah. information. And, you know, these, these types of games, it's more about experiencing and like feeling the situation. And whereas Into the Breach is just pure deterministic, zero confusion. So it, spiritually, there's a lot of inspiration from it, but mechanically, it's very different in the end. It's interesting because there is a lot of hidden stuff in. Like I remember, you could, depending on the zodiac and the luck, you could like attack your own characters with the like the rock, and you could throw rocks at your own characters, and their job points would like fly up because of being attacked and also having the luck. There was all these kind of hidden things that you could do to manipulate the game, which was kind of that PlayStation era. Th- thing to do anyway was to hide things from the player and let them figure it out in a very old video game design kind of way whereas then we did change to have you know people complained about these handholdy games but that's different to the sort of idea that if like especially in into the breach if you're like this squad of you know highly trained mech warriors they would they would know as highly trained mech warriors Everything that their mechs can do, the outcomes of the manners of which they're going to plan and stuff like that. It is weird that you would have like these warriors in video games that don't know stuff. It doesn't seem well, right to the realism of the, the game. So hiding stuff from the player does seem counterintuitive a little bit. It's, it's based, it's, in my view, it's, it's what atmosphere are you trying to give? In, in these games, basically, if I were a soldier... Um, I could know how good I am, but I could also trip on a stick and fall down. And so <laughs> the these sort of random elements and sort of ebbs and flows of various other hidden numbers and die rolls, all of that's supposed to like emulate the feeling of the sort of complexity that ends up going into a, a decision or an action. And it does up the complexity but it not in a way that's useful to the player in my mind. Um, if in if you could know those things and could use them to to, to alter your decision making process, then it would be a, like a mechanic that's useful. But when it's sort of obfuscated and hidden from the player, like you know, Final Fantasy four or six, I've played it dozens of times. I still don't actually know what luck does or you know like i don't know how it interacts or you know like strength or how to use it basically 15 more strength it's like yeah that's good right that's probably good i don't 
I don't know why exactly. And, and honestly, in terms of decision making, doing 3,004 damage versus 3,000 damage against an enemy that has 2,000 hit points doesn't really matter. So it's a lot of it comes down to sort of smoke and mirrors to feel like it's more complex than it is. And my approach is more like, let's just discard all that. Oops, sorry. Discard all that and figure out what actually is at play here so that players can make decisions given all the information that's actually important. Like if I had, uh, if I made a JRPG or whatever, like traditional style, the only thing that matters is how many hits does it take to kill an enemy? And, and so if you can parse it down rather than worrying about, you know, 20,000 damage or whatever into like one and two hit points, like I would much prefer that as a sort of strategic thinking type mind. But I also understand that not everyone likes games like that, and it's clear watching some people play Into the Breach, for example, that you know this this style of completely clear information is kind of um, jarring because you you basically have no one to blame but yourself if you can't figure something out, and that's not what games are often there for people. Uh, games are very often you know power fantasies and feeling like you're you're doing really well, so. Uh, or that you've improved, even if like your tactical skills haven't necessarily improved. So I, I totally see the value of that way of thinking. It's just kind of at odds with, with our values as a developer. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird because I feel like I can master Into the Breach, whereas I feel like I couldn't master a game like Final Fantasy Tactics because there would always be some sort of unknown value that I can't control or that I didn't know about. And maybe that's to the game's benefit. Maybe that makes it a better game. I'm not entirely sure. But I would have yeah, I guess it depends like on the that. type of player that you are, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I, I like to be. I like to know that I'm getting better at something. Yeah, I do think, at least as a kid, I more enjoyed the hidden numbers of things because it's like adding mystery and it makes it feel like a a real world that has its own rules that are slightly unknowable. And so you you try and figure out how to get the most JP from throwing a rock at your allies or whatever. <laughs> but nowadays, as a player at least, I generally just don't have time for that. Um, but I do have time for it, at least in Final Fantasy Tactics. And you have a lot of time now going to the, uh, the deserted heaven that you're going to be... <laughs> able to just yeah. take as much time as you want to get used to those kind of systems you can try and reverse engineer them like you did with Into the Breach and uh, see if you can become a master of it and see what Matsuno was sneakily up to but it is about time that we move on to your last game and speaking of sneaky designers who create incredibly wonderful games with lots of hidden systems that for the player to exploit and figure out for themselves it's about time we do move on to the last game on your list, Justin. And uh, I think we should listen to some music. And let's, of course, dive right into the last game on Justin's list.
So jumping into the last game, the final game on Justin's list. It's been a pleasure having Justin here today, and we have to get ready to send him on his way with the final game, uh, a game that is no stranger to this show, and also it was developed by former Final Games guest Derek Yu. It is one of the most talked about indie games of all time. It's such an incredible video game that has inspired so many game developers and continues to do so. We're looking forward to the sequel to this game that should be coming this year at some point, hopefully, if if Derek's okay with that. Um, it is developed by Derek Yu and Moss Mouth. Uh, it was originally a sort of a little freeware flash game, I think, uh, uh, that was available on PC. But it was remade for the Xbox 360 in 2012 with ports to the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation Vita. It's about caves that are procedurally generated, making you run through and spelunk your way through these roguelike areas. It is the wonderful, incredible Spelunky. Justin, why is the final game that's going with you Spelunky? Yeah, sorry if your uh, listeners are very accustomed to hearing about this game over and over, but... This game was a huge influence on me, both as a player and as a developer. And I'm talking about the original version right now. I would probably bring with me the, the modern version, but yeah. the original. Uh, around that time, I was I discovered what a roguelike was, and I was playing literally everything I could find, um, basically learning everything I could from them. And... You know, I was considering putting a traditional roguelike on this on this list, like uh, Stone Soup, Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup, which was one of the ones I liked the most. Um, but I felt it had to be Splunky. Uh, when I first played it, I was basically searching for random indie games that were free that I could give to the other designers at 2K with like this sort of email thing I was doing where I was like, you know, here's a game, you should try it because XYZ and, you know, yeah. mostly free games. And I was just utterly blown away. Um, the simple fact of taking the design mechanics from roguelikes and applying it to another genre seems so obvious now, but I, I would have never imagined it on my own, probably. And as soon as I play this, it's just suddenly like the whole world's opened up. What if we take what works from one genre and jam it into another genre? Um, basically, there was... As a designer, at least, there was, like, me pre-Splunky and then me post-Splunky. There's um, <laughs> is, is the two eras. And, and Splunky has influenced every aspect of design, probably, I, I approach it. Um, even just my ability to analyze the game and see what it's done to take from other, you know, the other genre of traditional roguelikes. Like, that process... You sculpted me as a designer as well, I think, in trying to reverse engineer it. So, um, plus, it's just one of my favorite games of all time. I just love playing it. Which, which is your preferred platform to play it on? I, I know a lot of people who have stuck with it like to play it on PlayStation Vita. What, which is the one that you like to play it on? Um, I guess Vita. I, I definitely think I prefer things portable. I played it the most on the Xbox whichever one it was 360 the 360 yeah um i definitely played on that more but if if it was on switch i would probably want it on switch definitely is this the kind of game where like i look at into the breach and i'm jealous that i didn't design it is this the kind of game that you look at splunky and you're like fuck i wish i designed (laughs) why can't i do that Uh... I definitely saw it as aspirational. I definitely like 
wanted to be good enough to be able to make it. Generally, I don't I don't get that vibe so much, that like sort of jealous vibe of coming up with an idea. I'm more like, oh, great, someone else did it. Like, I, I don't have to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> you saved me a lot of time. This is great. Like, if someone else could make another breach and I, I could just play it, I'd love it. Perfect. Um, yeah, but definitely playing it the first time, it, uh, at least it made me very clear, it made it very clear to me, like, how much more I could learn as a designer, I guess. Uh, yeah, I get that. Like, I don't think I could ever design a game like Into the Breach. I wish I could be a, I wish I could do that. But it is like looking at those games and being like, okay, taking inspiration from them. What is it I can do kind of thing? Can mm. I reach, a, not obviously make the same game, but make a game of the same caliber almost? I mean, Spelunky's sure. in like a different stratosphere to, to other stuff, but... I mean, aiming to make something of a certain caliber, at least in terms of how it's recognized by the industry or players, it yeah. sounds like incredibly hard. I don't know how one would set out to make the next Blunky or whatever. I think you could set out to emulate its ability to innovate, you know, for example. Yeah. And whether or not that makes an impact on the whole industry, you know, that's up to the fates, I guess. At least that's my my point of view within the breach for example we were like i try struggling with the sort of sophomoric syndrome of you know how, how do you make something to follow uh, ftl where the fans love it so much you know and my strategy was to just completely accept uh the fact that ftl would be the most popular thing i ever do of course that's way <laughs> easier said than done but it that's what you go into making a second game for us at least like we were not trying to make a bigger game than ftl we knew that our next game would not do as well as ftl and so once you get that out of the way it's a lot easier to be like all right well then what do we want to make and and approach it from a much more fun calm thing if you sort of have a way like that over you like i need to make the next blunky it's too paralyzing you can't make good decisions in in a scenario like that yeah I uh, it is I kind of like that you're just like huh FTL as this super successful thing I know that's gonna be the most popular thing now I can just do what I want <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> now I can just it, uh, just get on with the kind of stuff I want to make and I don't really have to care so much there's no that, I, I like that some people that's would the feel theory at least it, it's easier said than done like even now I. You know, I logically know that more people have played FTL and more people will know us through that game. And that makes complete sense. I'm totally fine with that. But then, like, the literal physical situation of um, having a game that was released that did well and then people uh, not knowing about it versus the first game and, like, oh, you made FTL. And, like, oh, have you done anything else? Like, that sort of thing. I know nothing is meant by it, but it's, like, the... It's like, oh, I knew this logically would happen, but I didn't know it emotionally. <laughs> you know, like spending four years on something um, like Into the Breach. And so it's still, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll be in that whole situation of like uh, the dwarves in Dwarf Fortress after they make their their dream thing. They basically descend into drinking and eventual probable suicide because they've... <laughs> they've achieved their dreams i hope it doesn't 
go in that sort of situation but definitely there's a bit of that um sort of feeling of like um you know it's all downhill from here yeah but at the same time it's freeing to accept that so it doesn't really logically bother me even if emotionally sometimes it can that's the thing is this, like this went off on a crazy tangent yeah <laughs> no i think it's important because obviously derek is making spelunky too and there's going to mm. be so much pressure not pressure but obviously expectation yeah. for spelunky 2 to be as good at least as spelunky 1 which is tough but in between that derek has made ufo 50 with a bunch of other people, it feels like he got to a point where he's like, I, I get to make this kind of thing that I wanted to do, and now, you know, I'll do this that people want me to. And I don't think, I think maybe Derek feels similarly. Maybe he doesn't particularly care if Spelunky 2 lives up to expectations. I mean, it takes place on the moon for the starters. Nice. So, so I imagine he's ha maybe having fun playing with that expectations. Do you think like making an FTL 2 is something that you would personally do? Um, I've talked to Derek a bit about this, and I don't want to, you know, put his words in yeah. my mouth, I guess. But I feel like it's kind of similar, where he basically had more to say in that world and space. And so, you know, he do he was working on all these small projects, and um, after a while of that, working on a big project that is of larger scope, and and you understand the core mechanics, and and you just have to make content and make fun stuff for it. I feel like that ends up being more appealing after you've been stuck doing small prototypes. With like FTL2, I feel like I would be the same way if I had something more to say in that universe and if I had something more to say mechanics-wise that to justify its existence other than just making fans happy, I guess, um, I would probably undertake it. But as it stands, I just I don't have anything else to design-wise justify the game you know like you can make yeah. it 3d you could do more but honestly i think when people say something like they want ftl2 i could be wrong but the majority some of them literally just want more of the same game but i feel like most people what they're really saying is i want to feel the way i did when i first played ftl i, I want the the an equivalent experience to to this thing that i love uh, and very often a sequel just by nature cannot provide that um, and so there are some people who just want more content and that's fine for them but for everyone else it's like you get it and then you're not certain is this actually what i wanted and so personally i'm a little bit worried about that um with like spunky 2 something like i utterly adore i but um you know it, it's possible he has en enough to say that really revolutionizes you know the game or it if not, that's fine, and the game is less for someone like me who wants the first experience of playing Spunky for the first time again, and more for someone who just really wants to spend more time and, and put more time to that world. Yeah, I get that as well. It's kind of like you maybe have, in your own mind feel like you have more to give in terms of other design influences. Like, you went from making FTL, which was this fast-paced, strategic, keeping the player on their toes thing, to a more not opposite, but a very slowed down, take your time, digest your yeah. thoughts based gaming into the breach. I suspect if I did make FTL 2 right now, a lot of the fans from FTL 1 probably wouldn't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, feel you like, know right now what you change, don't you? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many things that I, I don't like about FTL looking back at it design-wise. I mean, I still, if I sit down and play it, I still, I'm like, oh, this is actually fun. Oh, I see why people <laughs> maybe enjoy this. But like, but in my the head, I'm changing. just going through the loops of the, yeah, the designs that I, I disagree with now. And most of it comes down to that stuff that we were talking about before of obfuscated mechanics yeah. and clear decision making and stuff like that. I would, you know, if I made it right now, it would probably be way more close to Into the Breach in terms of um, sort of dissected gameplay yeah. into clear chunks and mechanics that are completely conveyed and that sort of thing. Awesome. Well, anyone who's excited about what you're going to do next, I, I feel like you can take some excitement from that sort of thinking. It, it, it keeps things fresh and intriguing as well. But Justin... Oh, what am I going to work on next? I well, you can't, <laughs> because you're going to a, an afterlife. I'm sending you it's to true. the afterlife. Um, and it is that time, because you've got your eight games now. They're all packed and ready. Uh, it's time to send you on your way. Um, but before you go, I have to ask you the last question that I ask everyone before they leave, uh, which is, we talk about games on Final Games. Of course, it's in the title. But one of the most important things about playing games is the way we play them, through consoles and means, you know, handheld. Like you said, you're very intrigued by portable consoles and stuff like that. Um, so if there was only one console you could take, barring PC, because, you know, you can emulate everything on PC, so it's kind of cheating. Um, but if you could only take one console with you, bearing in mind the back catalog and the games on that con console, and the way you play with it, the way you interact with it, uh, you get to keep your games. If you could only take one console with you, what would you take? I forgot about this. Um, <laughs> can can I take my unlocked PSP that I had Super Nintendo and Nintendo emulators on? No. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. A flat no. <laughs> um, I would love, well, to sort of meander my way to an answer. I, GBA was like my favorite console for the longest time. But in terms of like library, Super Nintendo is just, just where I grew up. And so that would feel most home. But I may actually just say the Switch. Um the experience of playing the switch is just too enjoyable to me and even right now the catalog is too many games than i have time to play so i would i would probably go with the switch just from the amount of joy i get from interacting with it as an object that's perfectly fine because that that would be my choice as well and because of that justin i'm gonna ask you the same question that everyone's asking you justin please make it into the breach switch port please <laughs> i will buy it 10 times over justin <laughs> <laughs> I I will promise I will look into it. Oh, thank you, Justin. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Just for me. <laughs> for this horrible fate Just that I've put you. you to. Maybe I'll bring you back from the afterlife if you do it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. That, that, I, that would be very nice of you. <laughs> Although I, if I was in the afterlife, I would imagine it would be hard for me to work on it. But I don't know. Can you port stuff to Minecraft and then port them from Minecraft to the Switch? Is that a possibility? Can we do that with the Redstone Probably, computer? Probably, yeah. Let's, let's just go with that. Let's I'll just go with that. computer yeah. in, this, in Minecraft <laughs> to then GUI to work on Breach. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's been so fun to listen to you talk about these games. 
Um, I was so excited to talk about you, as I said. Into the Breach is no hyperbole. It is one of my favorite games this year, alongside one of yours, Celeste, as well. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you so much for making Into the Breach. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, no, this is this was really fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So please tell the wonderful listeners before you leave, before we send you on to the afterlife, where they can find you on the internet and what of yours, your works, they should be checking out if they haven't already. Um, yeah, so subsetgames.com is our website. You know, we made FTL and Into the Breach, which, you know, are available on various PCs, although right now Into the Breach just came out on Mac and we'll be working on a Linux port eventually and theoretically other platforms that we look into. I myself, um, I don't have a huge online presence. I am at Jar Mustard on Twitter, but I primarily use that to retweet pixel art. But you can come say hi if you wanted. <laughs> I absolutely. You should be following Justin anyway because he retweeted this wonderful uh, like spire of grass based thing, like this pixel art that someone had done of this wonderful little castle. Um, and it looked really nice. And it gave me some inspiration for my own game that I'm working on right now. So thank you for that as well, Justin. Thank you for many things that you're doing. <laughs> so thank you also to you guys for listening to this episode of Final Games. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Justin go into some wonderful depth about game design and also choosing his eight games. It's been a pleasure having him. Of course, you can find Final Games on Twitter at Final Games Show. You can find me. Liam Edwards on Twitter as well, at LiamBME. I talk about games, Japan, making games as well, stuff like that. Uh, you can find the show on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Acast, on Stitcher. If you find it on those networks and you can rate or review it, please go ahead and do so. That would be very much appreciated. Also, if you'd like to listen to me talk about video games, you can listen to me on a weekly basis with uh, Super Bunny Hop talking about video games uh, on the Dad and Sons podcast as well. Please check that out on iTunes and SoundCloud and all, you know, all those other places. But thank you very much for listening to this episode of Final Games. I hope to see you again next time. But until then, thank you very much to Justin. Thank you so much to you guys. And goodbye.